Welcome to the end of the year episode for Ordinary Celebrity, just in time for Christmas travels. I hope that as you listen to this episode that you'll want to go back and listen to other episodes. For all of you who are new listeners, welcome. My name is Jeff Noble. I'm the host of Ordinary Celebrity. I'm a pastor in Blacksburg, Virginia, hailing from the great state of Arkansas. During the summer of 2020, I took a sabbatical, and it was during that COVID summer that I began the podcast. Now, the word celebrity is defined as the state of being celebrated. The famous are celebrated widely and are what we might call celebrities. But this podcast aims to reveal what deserves to be celebrated in all of us. The ordinary neighbor and the recognized name. Everyone has a story that deserves celebrity. You can be assured that Ordinary Celebrity will always be encouraging, uplifting, positive, and fun. You'll meet some folks who aren't celebrities and you will meet some who are. All of them are genuinely ordinary and all of them and you are genuinely worth celebrating. Now there's a few notes before I introduce the guest for this episode. I've been using Anchor for my podcasting, but this year it was merged into Spotify. Here's some great features available to you. If you will visit ordinarycelebrity.us, you'll see three buttons there. Two of those buttons are send a voice message. It's pretty cool. You can leave a voice message for the next episode right from your phone. I'd love to hear your comments or ideas. So go ahead and click that and let me know. Since some of you know that my ultimate goal is to have a sit-down conversation with Tom Cruise over coffee, if you can nudge me closer down the seven degrees of separation slide, that'd be incredible. Now there's a second button there. It's called Support This Podcast. That's a new feature. If you like the positive, uplifting idea and theme behind this podcast, please click that and lend your financial support. This podcast is a labor of love and your support really does encourage me to keep on finding more ordinary celebrities. Now on to our episode. Country music is a truly indigenous American musical genre. It remains one of the most popular musical styles in American music, even international music. However, there's a subgenre of country music that you may find rawer, more real, and ultimately more Western. It's Texas country. You're about to meet Mike Graham. I know Mike because he's my wife's first cousin. He's not only a great guy of whom I'm proud to consider as part of my extended family, but Mike is a singer and songwriter of Texas country music. Let me read to you from his website bio. He was born and raised in untamed West Texas oil fields and flatlands. And his music is a reflection of the energy and spirit of his roots. It's not surprising that his debut album in 1999 was titled Just West of Nowhere. He recorded two more well-received albums in the early 2000s, Find You a Highway in 2001 and Bad Ideas in 2004. And he's received significant airplay on Texas and satellite radio. Now, after touring just about every club, honky-tonk, and festival in Texas and beyond for almost a decade, Mike walked away from the music business in 2006 to focus on his new family and generally learning how to be a grown-up. It only took a global pandemic to get him writing songs and making music again. In 2020, 
Mike released a seven-song EP, Sunset, Sunrise. The self-explanatory first track is titled, Good To Be Back. And Mike is back. He's writing songs, he's performing, and today we talk about everything from Texas country to changes in Spotify to that moment of celebratory applause that a musician receives after the last note is played of an audience's favorite song. Let's get on to today's podcast. Today, I'm really excited to feature Mike Graham. Mike Graham is well-known in Texas country music, and he is also well-known to my family. He's my wife's first cousin, and uh, have just loved following him and keeping up with him. He's been such an incredible help along the way with even web design and some other things like that that I've forayed into and so, Mike, thanks so very much on this Sunday afternoon for joining me for another episode of Ordinary Celebrity. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for asking me. It's good to see your face. And yours likewise. Well, so I'd mentioned it a moment ago, but uh, Sunday, December 17th, as we're recording this, but tonight you've got a gig at a place called The Post there in Fort Worth. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, so we're... Um... We're actually, it's kind of a regular, uh, it's a, they call it a residency, I guess. I have a residency at the Post. That's That seems a little more fancy than it really turns out to be. But but I play there once a month. I have a set date and I play there once a month. And uh, I usually bring in another songwriter and we swap songs. And it's just a beautiful place to, to play music and to listen to music. This month, um, I'm bringing in three of my friends and we're doing a, uh, we're calling it the Funky Town Christmas at the Post. Um, and we're donating all the proceeds to an organization called Here Fort Worth, which um, promotes local Fort Worth music and musicians. And they've got a grant program that helps people get out on the road and, and uh, buy gas and hotel rooms and things like that. So we're gonna we're gonna donate all the proceeds to that, and it should be fun. We've still got. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a big crowd. It looks like we're gonna have a have a pretty pretty good amount of people there. So. Get some money over to here for Well, with this going on tonight, I, th I do appreciate you jump, jumping on with me this afternoon. Um, and I know a lot of my listeners, all 12 of them, um, <laughs> they probably aren't familiar with the distinction between what they would say country music and Texas country, but there's a pretty remarkable distinction. How would you define that? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, you know, there's there's even distinctions within the Texas what we, people would call Texas country music, which now people sort of call red dirt, um, and it's all kind of in this Americana genre more so than the you know what we would consider mainstream commercial sort of country music that you would probably hear on your on your country radio station, your big time big city country radio station. If you turn that on, you're not going to hear any of the stuff where I'm talking about the Americana stuff or Texas country or red dirt country um you know and it varies there's i'd say it's a little more um raw is probably a good way to to put it um there's a lot there's a little more i would guess emphasis on the songs themselves um and a little less emphasis on uh drinking beer on boats and pickup trucks although there's there's some of that too in this in this genre <laughs> Well, catch, catch me up. Uh, you've been doing music for a long time, but you took a hiatus for a while. Right. Uh, so catch me up with your with your story. How did you get into playing music? 
Uh, I believe yeah. you were a student at Stephenville, right? Well, I actually sort of got a, a friend of mine taught me a, a, my first chord on a guitar it, when I was going to school in San Angelo at Angelo State. And he taught me one chord and I immediately wrote a song with <laughs> one, one chord about the food at the cafeteria <laughs> in, at Angelo State. Or, which, which I will no longer perform in public. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> though I do get requests from time to time from those guys. Um, and then I moved to Stephenville and um, and started. I got I got the a literal book songbook, the Robert Earl Keane songbook. And I'm sure a lot of folks, a lot of your listeners may not even know who Robert Earl Keane is, but he's a big deal down here. And um, and it literally had all his songs and like the where you put your fingers to make the chords on the guitar. And that's how I learned to play guitar. And um, and then as soon as I like I started writing songs, basically, as soon as I could put, well, one chord together. But really, once I could put three chords together, I've started writing tunes. I met a guy in Stephenville named Larry Joe Taylor, um, who was a songwriter and had had lots of songs recorded and had made records and had a uh, a growing uh, music festival that he had put together. And uh, he actually is the one who sort of talked me into um, going and making my first album. I don't album CD, it was CDs then, this was 98. So albums were gone, cassettes were gone. It was all CD at that point. Um, and so we went and made a record and um, ended up making two more after that. And, in, but in 2006, I decided that um, I was tired of trying to keep gas in the van and t-shirts in stock and the band paid and all those things plus pay rent. And so I quit. Um, our last band gig was uh, Willie Nelson's 4th of July picnic in July of 2006. Wow. And, um, and that was it for for a long while. And I wasn't sure that I was ever going to really get back to playing music. Um, I tried to decided it was time to kind of be try to learn to be a grown up. Um, and I've only <laughs> only sort of succeeded at that. Um, but twenty twenty rolled around, and and um, you know I think we all kind of reexamined what we had going on and and what we wanted to do with the rest of our lives since. We don't, we didn't, at that point, we got a pretty quick realization that we didn't know how long that was going to be, right? We took a lot of things for granted before 2020. I did at least. Um, so I got, and through a lot of other circumstances, I got back to to playing some music and writing songs, which again, I wasn't sure I was ever going to do, um, but I did. And I, I wrote, a, I've got a, I've got a bunch. As a matter of fact, um, I'm going in studio first week in January and making a new record. Yeah, so that'll be the first one since um, 2000 and let's just say 20 years. Can we just say 20 years? Because that makes me feel old enough as it is. But I'm excited about that. And I'm doing some, you know, getting out on the road a little bit, playing some music, mostly still here locally, North Texas area, because um, I do still have all the same responsibilities that I had before 2020. And uh, and so we're trying to navigate that whole thing. Um yeah. But it's but but I'm really happy to be able to get back out and and uh, you know sing songs for people. It makes me happy. Well, there's a significant significant camaraderie in Texas country music, and so you've had a lot of people 
kind of pour into your life, I'm sure, a lot of people you've learned from, a lot of people you've also probably blessed along the way. Who are some people that you would say have meant a whole lot to you and kind of shown you some of the ropes or maybe nurtured your talent or encouraged yeah. you to stay with it? Well, it was, it was first off, for sure, it was Larry Joe Taylor, who I was talking about earlier, um, and all the people who I got to meet um, through him. He He's a um, he knows a lot of folks down here in this business. He's been doing it a long time. And like I said, he had this music festival that when I met him, um, when I started running around with him, he had done like eight or nine of them and they were fairly small scale. Um, this year in April will be his 35th, I think, or 36, 30, anyway, a lot. And now it's grown. They own the property where they put the music festival on and they have somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 people come to this festival every year. Um, and so I got to know a lot of great um, songwriters and, I mean, really legends of the of the this kind of music through him, which was inspiring. And and um, and, and he did. He showed me he showed me just about everything about about the business. Um, and then I just, you know, you get out and you play these places and you run into um, you run into fellow musicians and people who are in the same boat you are and and you get you get to know them. There's people like, um, and through Larry Joe, I got to meet people like Stephen Fromholtz, who was the poet laureate of Texas. Um, Gary P. Nunn, who is, who is really, um, you know, one of the most sort of legendary figures in this, this kind of music. He's, he was in the, right in the pocket with Jerry Jeff and Jerry Jeff Walker and Willie Nelson in the seventies, Austin music scene. And, and I got to meet people, you know, I've gotten to meet, I've gotten open for Willie Nelson. Um, I ended up being managed or, or my uh, booked or booking agent at one point was a guy named Pootie Locke. Pootie Locke was Willie's stage manager for 30 or 40 years. And you can imagine he was a character. Um, but he started his own booking agency and we were the kind of, I think, one of the first or second band that he signed. And so we got to do so much cool stuff through that. We got to open for Willie several times. Um, and we got to play his picnic um, that year in 2006. There were actually two picnics that year. Um, kind of, it was weird. I mean, everything everything about the whole Willie situation is weird. Um, and it all seems like it's going to fall apart at any moment, but it never does. They just they just figure it out and, and move on through. So so many cool experiences that I got to have through music and really cool people that I got to meet. Um, and it's, and it's really been a blessing and I'm glad to be back, be black back doing it and, and getting back in touch with a lot of those people that, uh, that I met back then and had lost touch with. It's been, it's been nice. So do you have a uh, guitar that is a little bit like Willie's that looks like it's been held together with wire and duct tape? I do. I've got, it's over there on the other wall. So you, got, is that one that you've been playing with for this was my this was my first this guitar that's it's got it does it has a big giant I can get it if you want me to get it I'll show it to you but it's got a big giant hole in it and um and it was my first guitar that I bought I would say with my own money but I actually bought it with that with that uh, with that credit card that they talk you into to getting in college yes yeah you know? like we'll give you a credit card and it had like a you know the limit on was like a thousand bucks or whatever. And so I was like, I know what I'm doing with this. I'm going to go buy myself a real guitar. Um, and I did. And so I ended up probably 
you know, for that thousand dollar guitar, it probably ended up costing me like three grand. <laughs> the time it was all over by the time I paid all the interest on it. That's the truth. I was in college. You know, I didn't. You know, I was making the monthly, the minimum monthly payment, if that. I don't know time. if you've but seen, seen that. Uh, but there was a documentary on Netflix, I guess this year, sometime about it only takes a song or just basically documenting the. Uh, it starts of, with a song. Starts I've seen with a song. Yes. Uh, what do you think about that? Did you get a chance to see it? Yes. Yeah. It was. It was really a fantastic um, documentary, and I think I've watched so many music documentaries. I love music documentaries. Um, I think that was the one maybe that they interviewed a guy named Tony Arata. Hmm. Tony Arata is the guy that wrote the dance. Um, yeah. yeah. Garth Brooks did, and his that story is great, and it's really pretty typical and indicative of how the songwriting game works. Um, he had, he had a job and just decided that he was going to be a songwriter in Nashville, moved there and nothing happened for him for years and years. And he was playing one of these uh, kind of local gigs. Um, and this, he played all his songs and the dance was one of them that he'd had forever. And this guy walks up to him um, you know, baseball cap and whatever, and says, "Hey, I'm my name's Garth, and I just got a, I'm, I'm in town, and I think I may be getting a record contract. If I ever do get a record contract, I'm putting that song on the record." And the and the guy, the songwriter, is like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Yeah, he hears, you know, you hear a lot of stuff in Nashville, apparently, you know, like I'm gonna. So, sure enough, that that guy got a record contract, and that guy put that song on his That's record, amazing. yeah, and. And he's never had to work another day in his life. <laughs> his job now is just to go down to the mailbox and get them. Get his grab the shit. Yeah. That's right. Man, I, I got, I, I hate to admit this, I got almost emotional watching that. Just the, the creative process that different musicians go through chasing down that elusive song. Uh, and it almost is like, it's a dance it's a romance it's i don't know what it is but what's i mean for you how would you describe the easiest song you've written the hardest song what's it like for you as you write a song yeah some of them some of them do come kind of in a flash um and for me it's it happens all different ways and and uh usually though with me it starts with the lyric um and and that I'll get a little germ of a thing in here. Um, and it's again, almost always a lyric. And I, you know, I used to start writing. Now I get on my phone and I start typing in the notes app, you know, I'm writing, start the song. And once I've got a little bit and I start hearing the meter um, of the words, almost always at that point, a tune starts, a melody comes. Um, and that at that point is when I come get the guitar off the wall and, and try to figure out uh, if that's really the melody that goes with this song or, or if it's really even a song. I mean, because sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Um, but the good ones, a lot of people say the good ones come fast. And I would say that's sometimes true. Some of the good ones you really have to work at, though. And I've had songs that that have taken years to write or you know at least they got started years ago and then and then they some of them i've just finished in this past year and they're going to be on the album and some, there are some of those are songs that i had started writing before i quit playing music in 2006 yeah um 
but but I think that really a, a songwriter in, in his heart of hearts knows when he's got a good one. Yeah. And and what's what's worth chasing. Sometimes you have an idea and you start on it and and um you can pretty you can tell pretty quick, I can at least, I think, tell pretty quick whether it's really a, a song or not. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it's um it's an interesting process and it's for me it's 90% inspiration and then the other 10% is the the skill uh craftsmanship some people would say that seems a little highbrow but um that goes into actually you know turning it into something and finishing it yeah there's a I've got a fly he's trying to join the conversation I wonder I wonder what that was it's like a little blur let's go away go away please so um out of the songs you've written and performed is do you have a favorite of your own songs that's a I've gotten that question, you know, some and and the best answer I can give is it changes from day to day. It's yeah. usually the last one I wrote. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, usually I'm in love with that one because that's the one I've been working on and that's the one I'm really excited about. Um, but I've got a few that are special um, just because of the subject matter. Um, I've got a song called called Be All Right that I really that I wrote. A long time ago, I was, you know, t- almost 25 years ago, probably. And I wrote it really for my folks. Um, but it's one of those that that once I had kids, it kind of took on a little bit different meaning because, I, you know, then it's it's almost about me. Yeah. Um, so that th- that one that one I I still do all the time, uh, just almost every night. Let me take a left turn on you. Uh, okay. So you have other skills besides just music, uh, and you have marketable uh, job skills and things like that. But along the way, how did you get into web design and coding? And yeah, I was always interested in in computers and coding. Um, I remember um, there was a magazine that we got uh, when we were in the when you were in the Cub Scouts. It was called Boys Life Magazine. I got it. I mean, maybe they still make it. Yeah, I don't know. I remember that. Um, and in the back, they always had this little coding exercise where you could basically copy. And it was in, I think it was in basic. The language was basic. And um, I had a computer. You know, my dad had, had a, gave me a computer and, you know, at whatever computers were at that point, you know, in 1989 or whatever. Um, and I would, so I would, get on there and I would do the little coding exercise and it would print out a on the screen, it would print out a Christmas tree or something, you know, yeah. like something totally um, not useful, but, but fun. And you could save back then, this is how long ago it was. We, I would save the programs on a cassette tape. Oh my you could goodness. connect the cassette tape to the computer and it would save it to anyway. So I was always interested in that. Um, and then when I got to uh, Tarleton state university in Stephenville, I got a business degree. 
And that's when I had started playing the music and decided I didn't want to go out into the real world quite yet because I was trying to be a rock star. Um, and the easiest way to do that that I could figure was go back to college. And so I went and got a computer information systems degree. Um, and at the same time, <clears throat> I had my music thing going and I built my own website for my music. Um, and that's really how I got started building websites was building my own website. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, just a little projects here and there. And I, when I, after I had moved to Austin, I was working at a place where we, um, we were apartment locators and it was a great job for a musician because it was hours were flexible and, and that, but I ended up actually building websites for that company. Um, and, and some other, some other things while I was doing the music, I've, I've actually never been 100% full-time musician. Um, probably should have, I probably at some point should have just taken the plunge and done it. Maybe I'd have been more successful, but that's how it all got started. And it, it was sort of organic in the way that it, I did get a degree, but honestly, I don't use, I use very little of that computer information system stuff um, in my, in my work. And that's, you know, that's what I do for a living now is, is I build websites. Yeah. That is amazing. The, along the way. So when I was a, and you probably remember this, but when we had started a church in South Arkansas um, in college, I did graphic design on the side. And when we started that church in South Arkansas, Carolyn was a photographer and she was honestly bringing home more bacon than I was. Uh, and I went back into graphic design, but at that time the internet had been invented somewhere along the way. And so started trying to do website work and some things like that. And I remember getting into WordPress and using WordPress essentially as the base of a lot of the um, company and individual websites that I did for folks. As, as one did back then. Yeah. It, it was just like, it was so easy. It was like plug and play in a lot of ways, but um, you helped me immensely along the way, just with some coding issues and solving some problems and you've always been really, really generous with your knowledge and your skills and helping people. And I imagine that filters over into the music side of things as well. Um, so I appreciate that a ton. Sure. Well, I was, I, I was happy to do it. Um, you know, it's always nice to be able to do something to be yeah. useful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's the truth. And so it's, it's always nice to be able to be useful, especially for, for folks you, folks you like, folks you care about. So, yeah. Andrew Peterson is a Christian musician and he's kind of a folksy guy. Uh, he's written a book called Adorning the Dark. And it's almost this free flow of thought just describing the creative process for him and how he uses his gifts and skills to like glorify God, to bring people to Christ and things like that. But he, you get the sense throughout the book that he kind of disdains the, uh, the popular creative culture way of doing things. And so, right. you know, and so some of that might go back to uh, the cookie cutter country music type stuff that we see out there and we listen to compared to just the rawness, the freshness, the, the sheer creative talent that is probably behind a lot of Texas country music and things like that. Yeah. You know, to me, when music and songs, especially when songs are, are at their best, they're, and it sounds it sounds hokey, but it I think it's true. It's 
there's truth in the song. Mm-hmm. And for whatever it's about, um, whatever perspective the writer um, comes from, you know when there's truth in that song and when it's just um, zippity doo dah, as Towns Van Zandt said. Um, so that, and I, so I agree totally with that. I mean, there, and, and, and look, some of the, there's a lot of um, commercial music that, that is great and it's, and it has its place. Um, and, and it, if it makes people happy for whatever reason, then, then it's done its job. You know, um, the happy, the happy business is not the happy uh, music business is not the business I'm in <laughs> at all. Um, and, but as a friend of mine says, sad, sad songs make me happy. Yeah. And so there's, there's something to that. Um, as long as there's a little truth in there, I think it's worth doing. You think the songs that contain the kernels of truth are songs that um, I wouldn't say are, are eternal, but songs that generally can can last longer than others. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people have got to be able to connect with it in some way. And the easiest way to connect with the song is to hear something that you feel is true in some way or applies to you in some way. The best songs are the songs that you're like, he wrote that from about me, right? You can see your life and your experience, uh, your or your feelings in in that song, um, and so those are the those are to me are the songs that last the longest, and only because they are make a personal connection to the people listening. What would you say would be one of the most uh, truthful or most intentionally significant songs that you've written? You know, sometimes a song is is just a song because it has a, a good lyric to it or a good melody, but I'm sure there's been a song or so along the way that you've thought, this this is coming from a deep place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's funny, I've got a song called, uh, called New Year's Day, which was on the last um, studio record that I made. Um, and I still do that one, uh, and it's, I actually wrote it um, January 1st of 2002. So it was right after September 11th. Wow. Um, And, you know, it's kind of about, you know, it's about how the world is a messed up place. Um, And, but it's also about trying to be a better me, trying to be a better you. Um, my, the, the, the last line of the course is I'm going to clean my act up, try to find a way to be a better man next new year's day. Hmm. Um, that one, I, that one, I feel even, even today, every time I sing it, I still feel like, yeah, I got, I got work to do. Um, so this, this still applies. What's a question that I should ask you? Well, um, what I think that's interesting right now is 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 what's going on in the music business, hmm. um, because it's the internet has revolutionized the 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 music business in good ways and bad. 
I'm probably not the best person to ask about how to make a living from playing music because I don't know that I ever fully have made a living from playing music, but I know a lot of people who do and it's work is the, is the short answer. It, it's work. And, and there was a time, even when I had gotten started that you could make money, even as a, as an independent artist, you could make money selling CDs, um, since that was the kind of the only way that people had to listen to your music, um, a guy like it was a guy named Pat Green, who was, you know, on his way up and and sort of at the top of this genre when I was, you know, kind of first getting getting rolling in the business, and he made a lot of money as an independent artist selling CDs, and he started selling CDs basically like out of the back of his truck at at whatever hole in the wall show he was doing um and i mean he, he ended up just by sheer force of of being out on the road and 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 going everywhere and playing everywhere that had electricity basically um he made it he made a ton of money in this business um without any any major label any support of that kind i mean it was a it was a totally homegrown operation um and and it worked for a while and it it worked for him you know for a long time but now people are so used to not paying for music mm-hmm. and i'm i'm as guilty as anybody um i have my subscription to my streaming service or streaming services and that's you know that's for pretty much how i would how i consume music um but it's gotten to the point now where everybody now has, or I don't say everybody, people in the music business have figured out that those, those platforms don't pay, um, don't pay what we used to, what we were used to getting from selling a CD or even radio play. Um, you know, cause every time you're in theory, every time your song gets played on the radio, it's, it's logged. And then you get your royalty from your performing rights organization. Um, of course, radio is not what it once was as far as listenership goes. Um, and it's all on the internet and it just pays. So just for example, and this Spotify is top of mind right now because Spotify has changed their. Just um, recently, right? It starts January 1st and they just announced it, you know, like a month ago, they changed their terms and conditions. Um, any song that does not, number one, they pay the least anyway. Hmm. any song on Spotify that doesn't get a thousand spins annually gets zero. And that's two thirds of all the music on Spotify. That's crazy. And they take all that in theory. I mean, it's look, this is, it's their playground. It's their sandbox. They built the thing, you know, and they've offered it to anybody that wants to put their music on it. So they can do whatever they want. Right. Um, so it's not unfair. It just is is what it is. But uh, all that money that they are taking in theory, you know, quote unquote, taking from those songs that don't get a thousand spins, right? They're repurposing it to the songs that get the most spins. So the people that do have, typically, that's the people that do have major label support who the major labels are actually partners now with Spotify, and it's kind of a 
Interesting, huh? Yeah, it, it's an interesting relationship. But again, I mean, yeah. it is what it is. Now, what did I do? I canceled my Spotify subscription. Right. Um, and they give a little, you, you know, when you cancel it, they say, can you tell us why you canceled? It's like, yeah, because y'all are cheap and I don't like you very much right now. So, um, you know, I saw and I subscribed, I took that money and subscribed to Tidal. Tidal is, an, is another streaming okay. service, T-I-D-A-L, another streaming service. And they actually pay the best to the artists that put their music That's on. good to know. That's good to know. And it's, and it's, a, and it's a good alternative. And I the problem is I like Spotify. It's a great product. Just from a user perspective, it does all the things that I want it to do. Um, but I've, I'm trying to wean myself off of Spotify and get on the title. Uh, the person I first saw this mentioned from was Oliver Anthony, who mm -hmm. went viral with the Richmond, I, North of Richmond. But he was talking about the, the tension for musicians now who are independent artists or, um, you know, they may have one viral song that that exceeds that thousand play, right? But the rest of their songs may get, you know, 500, 999. Yeah. And so all of that uh, revenue uh, goes to artists that are getting already the spins. Right. Yeah. I mean, and obviously Spotify gets their revenue from the subscriptions and from advertising. Yeah. Um, and so they are, I mean, they are shifting that revenue to the people who get the most spins. Um, is, which, this a, is this a topic that's pretty hot right now with musicians that they're trying to figure yeah. out what to do? Or yeah. Are seeing a lot of people pull from Spotify or? No, and I don't think that's the answer because, because at the end of the day, people who are at this level that we're talking about, who are you know struggling to get a, multiple songs over a thousand spins, look, just having your music out there and available for people to listen to, I wouldn't. I'm. I'm. I would say even if it doesn't didn't pay anything, yeah. um, is 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 worth it in one respect. But right. and especially now because people aren't buying people aren't buying physical copies of of records. Although vinyl is a thing, and vinyl is 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 big business. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna put my new record on vinyl. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I have a record player, but I don't even listen to vinyl that much. But I do buy vinyl records, and it's almost more of a, a you know, a collector's item or right. nostalgic. Nostalgic. And for the people who, again, people at this level, they're, they're fans. Mm -hmm. They, for the most part, I think, understand the situation. And any anytime you can buy something physical from an artist at, at this level, an independent Absolutely. artist, it goes a long, long way to keeping those people out there and being able to to continue to make music. Mm -hmm. um, and that's at the end of the day, as a, a fan or a supporter of somebody, I think that's the, especially in an independent artist, that's the goal is to just keep them, have them be able to make a living. And if you like their music, have them keep making more of it. Yeah. And, you know, they got to eat. The yeah. kids can eat, the kids wear shoes too, you know? So that's the, that's the, that's the only way at this point to be sure that you're that the money's that you're getting getting some money directly to those people. Yeah. Let me kind of head down the hill and we'll start wrapping up. Um, but what can you hear the cat scratching in the background? Okay, good. <laughs> can you hear my kids in the kitchen? No. Uh -uh. Okay, good. <laughs> We're even. 
since this is a podcast called Ordinary Celebrity, uh, let's say you finish a set and you hear the applause and you hear the screaming and the whistles and things like that. And how's it feel to have that moment where people are celebrating the skill, the music, the musicians? Talk to us just a moment because most of us don't have that moment of hitting that last lick and a crowd erupting. Right. What's that feel like? I feel, I mean, I, it feels great. I mean, I, um, I would like to think that I would write songs even if nobody was listening, but that's probably not true. Hmm. Um, you write, the reason you create, and it's not, I don't think it's just writing songs, it's, it's anything. I mean, you've written a book. I mean, right. you, you didn't write a book to just have it sit on your desk or on your computer for the rest of your life, right? You wrote it so that people would, would read it and, and get something out of it and, and get some enjoyment or, or knowledge or whatever out of it. And the same goes for writing songs. Um, they're not really, they're not really finished until you play them for somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and to get feedback in that way, after you've, you know, especially in my case, the songs I write are they're I mean, they're, they're from the heart. They're, they're my feelings, um, you know, auditory <laughs> in an auditory format. Um, and so it feels great to have people listen, mm -hmm. hear what I'm saying and respond back to that in any, in, in whatever way. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, a pause is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been on, I've, I've played, believe me, I played plenty of songs when there wasn't no applause and that feels really terrible. Mike, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure and a joy to get to visit with you and catch up with you. And uh, got Same. anything else you want to say for the ordinary celebrity listeners out there? That's it. Um, I appreciate you having me on. And again, it was it's great to see you. We don't we don't get to see each other nearly as often as I'd like. So yeah. let's make that happen. Well, have a wonderful afternoon and best wishes on the gig tonight. Hope it raises lots of money for what charity was it? It's called Here Fort Worth. Here Fort Worth. Wonderful. Well, I'll link that in the show notes so that even afterwards, uh, people can kind of go and find out what that's about. Please do. Thank you very much, man. You bet. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great afternoon. Yeah. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'll visit the show notes, you'll find all kinds of links to things mentioned in today's episode. You can find Mike's website at mikegraham.com. And also, if you want to find him on Instagram, his account is mikegraham00. That's mikegraham00. And if you're in the DFW area, don't miss Mike when he performs in person at the Post at River East there in Fort Worth. I know you're going to want to listen to some of Mike's music. You can find it at Tidal, Apple Music, and yes, on Spotify. Finally, don't forget to visit OrdinaryCelebrity.us and look for those two buttons that I referenced at the beginning of the podcast. Have a wonderful day and Merry Christmas.